A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. If you have ever seen any Star Wars movie, you may recognize this as the opening line of the slow crawling text that fades away into the stars. This signature device of the Star Wars franchise, paired with its main title theme music, helps to immerse ourselves within the story, imagining the world of Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. This multi-billion dollar film franchise has spawned theme parks to Halloween costumes, as well as crazy fan fiction. Now, I think this speaks to the emotions that these characters and the music evokes within us. Now, imagine such a coordinated effort to tell a hopeful story of our future, which imagines all the ways we as people have come together to rid our world of greenhouse gases and social injustice. In today's episode, we will explore some examples of such efforts to use storytelling to realize more sustainable societies, and some very specific tips to use these narrative devices in your own contexts. You are listening to the podcast Advancing Sustainable Solutions, broadcasting from the International Institute for Industrial and Environmental Economics at Lund University. This episode will be hosted by Catherine Shebb and Stephen Curtis. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of the IIIE podcast, Advancing Sustainable Solutions. In this month's episode, we explore storytelling as a tool to transition to a more sustainable and just society. I think we all understand what is a story from either reading a book, watching a film, or listening to music. But how is storytelling being used today not only to imagine a more hopeful world, but to actually realize and put into practice a more sustainable future? These are interesting questions to take us into today's episode, but before we get too far into the topic, we have some big news for our listeners. We celebrate an addition to the podcast team in more ways than one. Co-host Carolina Sudegren departs the podcast as she welcomes a new family member. So we're very excited for her to start on this journey, but also excited to introduce our new co-host, Catherine Schaub. Thank you very much. And hi, everyone. I'm really excited to be joining the podcast team. And um, I'm recording today from Beirut, Lebanon, where I'm from, before I head back to Sweden in the next weeks, where I've just started my PhD at Lund University on missions and climate neutral cities, which I think this is, you've already done an episode podcast on this, Stephen, right? So very much looking forward to exploring many interesting themes together with you, Stephen, the podcast team, and with all of you listeners. So without further ado, let's get back to the podcast. And so we're just now weeks into the new year, and hopefully you've all persisted with those new year resolutions. And the new year is a time to reflect on our goals, our behavior, and on the small or big changes we'd like to make. And with me joining the podcast team, we thought it would give us really an opportunity for the podcast team to reflect on our voice and our role in telling stories for sustainability. Yeah, I have to say, finding my voice has been something of a challenge in the midst of everything over the last year. There are necessary and important voices that I think need to be heard right now, including that of our public health information from our politicians and authorities, uh, also experiences from healthcare workers and other essential workers, and voices of so many in need of our support right now. 
we acknowledge that these are challenging times for all of us, and we are all asked to make sacrifices to reduce the spread of the virus. We are doing our part here at the IIIEE by recording the podcast at a distance. We're grateful for your understanding and hope you enjoyed today's episode. We also realize it is super important to continue to discuss sustainability and share the latest research to advance sustainable solutions in your context. This is why we see the aim of the IIIEE podcast to make sustainability more accessible and engaging for society by connecting the podcast to research events and people relevant to the activities of the IIIEE. And hopefully this podcast inspires critical thought and discussion so we can all work towards a better world in the month and years to come. In today's episode, we're going to consider the why, what, and how of storytelling. Why do we need storytelling? What makes an effective story? And how may we implement storytelling in our own context? Whether you're a student or a manager, a daughter or a father, we'll discuss these questions in greater detail. Later in the episode, we will meet with two expert storytellers here in Sweden who will share examples of stories for sustainability to bring this episode to life. All right, Catherine, why do you think we need stories? Yeah, that's a great question, Stephen. I think we need stories because facts on their own are not really engaging. I mean, if we really want to motivate people to imagine a sustainable future, we need to have them emotionally connect with that vision. And, you know, providing numbers, figures, logic alone just won't do the trick. Stories, I think, are then a great way to wrap these facts in an engaging and compelling way to allow us to envision a different future that we can connect with. It's funny you say that because I really like facts and numbers. I think my brain works that way with logic and statistics. But I increasingly realize that emotions more greatly impact how we observe the world around us. And it drives much of our own decision-making as humans. I believe we need stories then to rise to the needs of today and counteract the moneyed interest steering the public narrative facing so many of our challenges. Absolutely. You know, in fact, according to Michael Levine from Psychology Today, emotions drive 80% of our decision-making with logic and practicality making for the rest. That means just 20%. And in a world plagued by existential sustainability challenges, maybe we really need to recognize that simply stating the facts will not inspire a sufficient number of people to make the necessary changes to achieve our sustainability goals. Yeah, so we know that stories have the power to inspire. Research has shown that facts, figures, and even bullet points presented in a PowerPoint, they only stimulate a small area of the brain, uh, the portion of the brain that involves language processing, where words are decoded into meaning. But stories, stories on the other hand, they activate multiple areas of the brain in addition to the language processing parts. McKinsey, they undertook a study which concluded that the key role of stories is to connect people and to have people find meaning in their lives and in their work. Great change stories that carry meaning can help to spark action. It is exactly these stories that inspire action towards sustainability that we're interested in exploring here on the podcast. Let's actually stop for a second and consider why this is important. So, for example, if we look at the Paris Agreement, the unprecedented Global Climate Accords puts forward a 1.5 degree Celsius target and timetable. But it's only that. 
a target based on our latest understanding of science. Now, each country has submitted their nationally determined contribution, which state the target each country intends to reduce their emissions by 2030. So these are called NDCs. However, most recent modeling suggests that NDCs collectively fall far short of the 1.5 degree target. And reporting by The Economist suggests that most countries will fail to even achieve their intended contributions. Yeah, so this is a good example of the divide between science and decision-making. We know the science, but yet the decision-making is lagging behind what we know. So how do we translate our science-based targets into action by governments, companies, and citizens? Or rather, how do we move beyond science and intellectual discussion into the practical implementation of efforts to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions? We suggest that storytelling could perhaps be that bridge. That's really fascinating, and that whether stories have a great potential to be that bridge, we also need to acknowledge that persuading others with stories can be difficult, especially when we were talking about grand challenges, which have been so politicized in our society. And again, this is because of our emotional response. We react to protect ourselves from overwhelming challenges such as climate change or to information that may challenge our own worldview. And it's difficult to process with limited support or experience. This is why I like to think of storytelling as a heartfelt and authentic expression that does not shame or guilt anyone into a particular behavior, but inspires others to critically and creatively perceive their own contexts to arrive at their own conclusions about the world. But this takes practice and a more nuanced understanding of what makes a story. If I were to ask you what makes a story, what would you say? At least for me, I think of a book or a movie as a medium for telling stories. They have relatable characters that go on some type of journey of self-discovery through their own experiences, or something happens to these characters, which they overcome by the end of the story. Absolutely, Stephen. You've just kind of hit the nail on what are the basic components of a story. And very simply put, I would say to me that the stories have the following elements to it. First, a setting. So what context is a story taking place in? Second, characters. Who is the protagonist? Who's the hero or the shiro? A plot. What series of events will the story unfold? A conflict. So what is the problem that the story will face and these characters will undergo? And resolution. How was the problem solved? So if we remember those five basic components of a story, scientists actually are suggesting a sixth additional component. Dr. Jeff Lina Weaver, in his book, Storytelling for Sustainability, suggests that the notion of memory is a sixth characteristic, understanding how our past impacts how we perceive the configuration of these components of setting, characters, plot, conflict, and resolution. By drawing on the memory of both the storyteller and the audience, the story can take different shapes in different contexts. So for example, a storyteller usually is said to never tell the same story more than once. It's because they're always changing the way in which they tell a story based on what's resonated with a past audience or responding in the moment to the critical stares that you may see of an audience looking back at you. Similarly, a story will be perceived differently by an audience of college-educated women versus a group of teenage boys. 
absolutely. I mean, even a story heard twice will take on a different meaning. Have you ever watched the movie twice and realized some really important plot point that you missed the first time? Or maybe a story elicits different emotions after having a child or being in a car accident. This suggests that the previous experiences of the audience can influence that telling of a story and its emotional impact on them. Yeah, so this is why medium for telling a story is so important to consider based on your audience and your message. And there are several different mediums to consider as a storyteller. The first type of storytelling I think of is oral storytelling. Using spoken languages is perhaps one of the oldest forms of storytelling used to pass down traditions and wisdom across generations. Another early form of storytelling is visual storytelling. I grew up in Utah in the United States, and one of the things that I remember is being in awe, stumbling upon the petroglyphs in the desert. So some of this rock art in, the, in Utah dates back more than 10,000 years. And obviously, while this medium has changed from you know, paint on rocks, we still use art in the form of paintings, photographs, and graphic design to tell stories and elicit emotions visually. There is also, of course, written storytelling and digital storytelling, in addition to what Stephen just talked about. So written storytelling are stories that are presented in a written format, as simple as that. This can vary from fairy tales to newspapers to novels to blogs, and now even to fictional books about climate futures. For example, there is a book recently published last year called The Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson, and it's these kinds of stories that we're trying to talk about today. So in addition to written storytelling, we have digital storytelling, which are stories influenced by technology and vary across different social media platforms. So all kinds of personal or not so personal stories are shared on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And are we then all storytellers when it comes to social media? Thus far, we've talked about six components that make up a story. Setting, characters, plot, conflict, resolution, and memory and we've presented four different mediums that stories are often told, oral, visual, written, or digital. And we have one final way to conceptualize what makes a story, and that is understanding the human hierarchy of stories, or rather the level the story speaks to. So we can think of the level of stories as big stories, middle stories, and little stories. Big stories help us make sense of the world around us, speaking to some of life's biggest questions. Middle stories speak to cultural, structural, or institutional characteristics of how our society works or should work. And finally, the little stories frame the individual as the protagonist, the hero, and speak from a place of experience and empathy. These three levels of stories often coexist and interact with each other in our society, again reflecting the context and the experiences of the audience. When telling your sustainability story, consider what level you wish to speak from. Do you want to tell a personal story of your own journey? Maybe you want to inform or educate others about how the world should be. Or do you want to connect with others in a spiritual, metaphysical, or some other cosmological way? Understanding your voice and the level at which you wish to speak to or from will help you put together your story. And that sound means it's time for our sustainability scoop. This month, we connect storytelling to a recent trend in advertising called brand storytelling. This means companies are putting their brand forward as aware of and engaging with the stories of our time. Yeah, so as we're all consumers, maybe we can recognize this in our own contexts. 
More and more companies are speaking to the issues of climate change, racial injustice, and the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. This speaks to a few trends we're seeing right now in society among consumers. First, brands are much more conscious today than they were decades ago of the social and environmental issues that we face, in part because they have a huge reputational risk from failing to meet consumer expectations. Secondly, consumers are spending way less time watching TV and reading newspapers as they did just five years ago. So the way in which a brand engages with their consumers is also changing. And we would like to provide a few examples of how brands are engaging in storytelling. So first, let's take the example of KitchenAid. KitchenAid produced a 30-minute documentary called A Woman's Place, which was directed by Academy Award winner Raika Zehtapshi. The documentary brought to light the disparity between the high number of female culinary professionals and the relatively humble few female executive chefs in the United States. Another example is of an outdoor brand and retailer based in the U.S. called REI. Now, they produced a short film called Pedal Through, which featured three Black women biking Oregon's McKinsey River Trail. The goal of the film was to engage in purpose-driven storytelling by lifting marginalized voices and focusing on making the outdoors accessible to everyone. And with these examples, it's actually really important to distinguish storytelling from advertising. While storytelling may be a form of advertising companies are now engaging in, the reverse is not true. Advertising is not storytelling. Remember, we discussed the components needed to make a story, right? What makes these examples so successful is that they had a setting with characters and a plot that experienced a conflict and resolution. Absolutely. The key to successful brand storytelling is to be authentic. Credibility is so important, and our motives are often quite transparent to our audience. Furthermore, look to see more purpose-driven storytelling, highlighting the societal challenges we face and suggestions that brand are part of the solution. But we know that the motives of these brands are not always pure, so beware of greenwashing. Be on the lookout for many more stories from brands and consider reflecting on how they construct their stories. Do they have all the components that make up a story? What medium are they using? What level are they speaking to? Maybe some stories that you'll see in the coming months and years will inspire you to find your own voice and tell your own sustainability stories. To receive more information about brand storytelling and links to the examples we mentioned here, make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter. Each month, we send out a reminder email announcing new episodes, which include show notes, access to research output, and additional information about our monthly sustainability scoop. You can sign up on our website at www.triplee.lu.sc podcast. We have someone joining us who knows a thing or two about telling stories. Per Grankvist is a Swedish journalist specializing in sustainable lifestyles. He serves as the chief storyteller at Viable Cities, the largest state-funded innovation program in Sweden. Viable Cities is really putting emphasis on storytelling as a method for accelerating the transformation to low-carbon cities. Welcome, Per, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we thought we could start by you telling us a bit about Viable Cities, and then what do you do in Viable Cities as their chief storyteller? What an awesome title. Thanks. Yeah, it, it, it's a great conversation starters. Um, Viable Cities is a government-funded uh, research 
project that we will be just program. It's one of the biggest in Sweden, uh, 100 million dollars in, in budget. And our aim is to become the rocket fuel for cities in Sweden to become climate neutral. So it's not actually us doing the job, but we're helping them sort of move quicker to a carbon neutral future. And that should happen in 2030. The problem with that is that that's a KPI. It's not really a, an interesting goal. People get starting to yawn whenever you talk about climate neutrality. So there was an insight into the team that, that, that we need storytelling in order to get people to change behavior. And when you're doing that, facts are vastly overrated. You then have to describe what the future will look like. And so it falls on, on my shoulders to develop a framework for how do you make talk about the future in ways that make sense to people. So basically sense making. And that then we have an entire framework on doing that. So everything we do is very scientific, sort of rigorous uh, and based on facts. But the stories, we are used with an insight that sort of stories cannot be facts alone, but something else. So we draw from human psychology, we draw on research on some sustainable behavior, but also from sort of the, the media, art and entertainment world on how do you tell a story in a well way that engages an audience. So that's basically what I'm trying to do. Yeah, so if storytelling is trying to convey differently facts and figures, uh, why do you think storytelling is such a, an effective medium to communicate this more broadly? Because that's who we are as a species. We are storytelling engines. That's our brains are, are made to sort of understand stories, not to understand facts. And sometimes we, we place an overemphasis on facts. So here's why you should go climate neutral. Uh, and basically all the things on that list is, is boring. Uh, whenever you say it's to someone that you need to be climate neutral, they may they come up with ideas of that they will take you will take their hamburgers away, or they can never drive a car again. They can definitely not go on on, on a sort of long haul flight somewhere. So we need to tell them that it's actually possible, or and show them that it's actually possible to live a high quality life with a with a low carbon lifestyle, and that that life is not that different from what we do today. It's not about sort of uh, changing everything but being a bit more thoughtful uh, with the resources. And that comes with sort of a higher quality of life uh, effect. Yeah, I guess because stories help inspire uh, our imagination in a way they can inspire how we imagine the future to be, not restrictive, but what is potentially possible. Exactly. Uh, well put. Um, I'm curious, Per, in your own work, what inspires you uh, when you're telling these stories with Viable Cities? Well, I look mm, many ways for inspiration, I should say, but um, one of the, of the sort of the North Star for inspiration of storytelling, I would say, would be Pixar, because it's not only have they been on top of the game in, in sort of animation and telling stories in a new way, they also sort of perfected the craft of storytelling. Uh, and one of my favorite movies, Wall E, which also has a bit of a sustainability edge to it. It's really a, a, a movie, a full-length movie that has very little conversations in it, but still you completely understand what the garbage compactor and the small droid and sort of the conversation they have um, in on another level. And, and it goes back to that idea of storytelling being sort of the, the ability to spark emotions and emotional understanding of the story. So you, we always need to, to connect to that. Um, but at the same time, we have to be cautious not to 
only use that, but still remain deeply sort of rooted in the scientific facts when someone asks, but why? Uh, and how, is that possible or why should we? It's super important to be sort of close to uh, keeping an eye on, on research. And, and I'm lucky to to have ties to a lot of researchers in, in uh, various universities in, in Sweden, Lund University being one of them, where I get to tap into them of really brilliant minds. Uh, and so it's about making their research coming to life, but through a story that every day, every sort of an ordinary people, the man on the street that we famously talk about can understand. Absolutely. Thank you, Per. And I think you make a really good point there about facts kind of being the driver behind the story, because if we tell stories without facts, we kind of run the risk of propaganda and other kinds of, uh, of dangerous narratives. And so making sure that our stories are in line with the facts is, I think, really crucial. I thought here it would be great if you could actually give us a concrete examples of what kind or output your storytelling looks like. Do you are they written format? Or are they digital? If you could please provide an example. I would say that you should never overestimate the platform or the technology to deliver a story. The story itself has to be good. A really good story is told between human beings. So you have to have so that sort of I'm telling it to someone. And then for various audiences and for various purposes, different mediums have to be used. And then you have to make the most out of those mediums. And I'm sure if you want to tell a story, you just have to make sure that you start at the right point and that you have the sort of, you should feel an, uh, sort of an, an urge to tell that story because it's important to you and it's engaging. And here's, okay, hang on, here's what I want to say. That should be sort of the, the, the starting point of telling a story. And then of course, in various mediums, different things would happen. If you look at Washington Post on TikTok, they're amazingly good. The stories they tell are very different from what you'd see in print, obviously, but at the same time, they adopt it and they create that kind of engagement. Ideally, the, the format uh, we use should be within the context of the local city. All the stories we, we sort of we want to be told should always be told on a, in a local context in a city. We have to tell a much richer story uh, about what the future will look like. And we have to do that in a way that people understand um, in their local context. So, for example, one of the pilots we've done, have done in, in Malmestad in southern Sweden, where we wanted to show that actually this is what a life, a day in a life would look like in the future. Um, and with all these sort of, it would be an, an ordinary November day set in a, in a not so far future. And we follow a person and her day. Um, and she had a lot of obstacles. Her bikes got stolen. She was driving in the wrong direction. All kinds of stuff happened. So sort of a pretty normal day. So some highs, a few lows. Uh, and that's something you as a viewer could completely relate to. Yeah, I mean, but that's why context is so important when we're telling stories. Um, is there anything that you've learned in telling stories of Bible cities and how you can use context in order to tell a more compelling story? I think one of the things I've learned during the year of the pandemic is that the world is super local and that local is much more important than we envisioned. I think there's been a parenthesis now for a couple of decades where we imagine that we are global citizens. No, we're not. It, that's complete BS. Nobody's a global citizen. Everybody's a local citizen. 
everything is super local. And that's how we understand the world. When the bike got stolen in that pilot in Malmö, we know it was stolen because that's an ordinary uh, a common problem. And especially in that place, that's happening a lot. So everybody who saw that story, said, ah, oof, totally related to that. Had your bike stolen at Triangen, happened to anyone. And so those little, little details, you have to put those little nudget of little details into a story to make it believable. But it could also be sort of other nuances such as the kind of forests that you, you use in your pictures. I did uh, a study on the various forests in the story of the Little Red Riding Hood. And if you look at it from the French perspective, it's basically a French forest in the background. In the US perspective, it looks different. And then in a Swedish context, you have all these uh, firs and pines in the background. So it, it's very contextualized and still it's a very universal story, but it feels much closer to home. Um, and that is super important. If we think about wanting to inspire our listeners to tell stories, what is one other suggestion that you would make for an aspiring storyteller, especially when telling the story for sustainability? Don't overcomplicate things. You are under the spell of knowledge. So I think that, that a good way that I advise people do is to sort of, how would they describe it to a friend who's not at all in the field? So what's the thing? What's the thing that you do, Stephen? Well, you would say, okay, well, I do. And there's a couple of sentences. That's where you need to start. And then the next question will be, okay, but why is that important? And that's the next part of your story. So you have to tell someone, tell a friend how you do it. You can practice using a WhatsApp and then you go on sort of how you text this to a friend. That's a perfect start. But don't think about how can I make this into a cool YouTube movie? Because then you're going to be sucked into all the technology and you will have uh, some production and it's all bad. It has to be refined to how do you tell this to a friend and why is what you do important? And also engaging sort of. How do you change your the tone of your voice when you're telling it? And what kind of props do you have? And PowerPoint is never, ever the answer, has never been. People always ask, so where's the power? What's the point? Thank you so much, Per, for that. I think that's actually more than one advice. So don't overcomplicate it. Explain it as if you're explaining it to your mom or a friend. Start at the root. Why is it important as you're telling your story? Start small. No worries about making something great. And finally, I loved it. Don't do a PowerPoint. <laughs> Where's the power and what's the point? That was great. Thank you so much, Pierre, for joining us today and for this wonderful insight as a chief storyteller role. Thank you so much for having me. have the pleasure to welcome Ludwig Bengtsson Sonason to the podcast. He is the project manager at the Department of Political Science at Lund University. And I have to say, I see him as an avid communicator using social media and other mediums to share stories about sustainability. Now, I've actually been wanting to get him on the podcast for some time following his work, and I'm really glad that we're able to do so today. Ludwig, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Why don't we start? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? So it's mostly working within the Climaginaries project, which is a FOMAS project, and the Narrating Climate Futures Network, 
which is a kind of university-funded network here at Lund University, and dealing with futures and uh, climate change uh, in general, trying to communicate using the future and storytelling. Could you tell us a bit more about how you are working with storytelling? So how are you using the concept of storytelling to work on your projects? For example, you said you mentioned Climaginaries, but you're also working on a project calling reInvent. So how do you storytelling in that work? So in general, you can say that we try to take the knowledge that are generated in all the disciplines working on this immense sustainability challenge uh, we have and try to use storytelling about the future and from the future to kind of convey how life would be different if we actually changed society. So within reInvent, for instance, that's a EU project working on industrial decarbonization. So it's, it's quite a heavy subject. And so we wondered, okay, but what if all these things we are saying we need to change happened? How would life be different for someone uh, just living in a regular city? And we, we then kind of turned that into a speculative uh, travel guide uh, in the style of the Lonely Planet uh, of a city that had decarbonized. So we try to use all that knowledge that generated over a four-year project into something that was more approachable for people who are not experts, uh, who are just kind of citizens. Yeah, I really like that idea of this uh, imaginary speculative travel guide. Are there any other examples from your work and how you've used stories to communicate uh, you know, these speculative futures? I guess our most kind of successful project has been the Carbon Ruins uh, Museum, uh, which is a, it's a speculative museum of the fossil age uh, set in 2053 in a world where we met the Swedish climate uh, targets. And so we successfully decarbonized society. And then we ask, okay, but if you're doing a museum exhibit over this time, what objects would you talk about? What stories would you tell about those objects? Uh, and they're also using this immense knowledge base that exists here at the university, drawing from different experts in different fields to kind of construct these stories. Uh, who are the actors who will be the change makers? Uh, what will be the kind of pivotal moments? And that was actually turned into like a real physical uh, museum exhibit here at the university and has then kind of traveled the country. It's become a, a digital audio guide project and now we're actually turning it into kind of school material. Yeah, that's really interesting, Ludwig. I actually attended the, um, the launch of the Notre Dame guidebook at Lund University and found the work really fascinating. So what do you think the response to these efforts have been? Can you gauge the impact that these projects have had? Impact is always a tough question. Uh, the kind of real direct reactions we've done are, uh, have mostly been that, okay, I feel a sense of hope or that I feel like I can think about the future in a more constructive way now. That before engaging with the, this type of uh, project, they would just kind of uh, close down when they thought about the future. It's too scary, it's too big, it's too complex. Uh, we talk about a crisis of imagination when it comes to climate change. Uh, but having these tools, then they can suddenly place themselves in the future in a more a constructive way and talk about it. So that feeling of hope, I think, is uh, has been in all these projects. 
Yeah, and Ludwig, do you think that these stories or these projects or these futures that you're envisioning, do you think they translate over culture and context? So the work that you're doing today, can you take that and go anywhere in the world and people who listen to these stories will resonate with them? There might be some translation, but they're not meant to be translated. We, uh, we're talking about doing carbon movements in other countries. And we've talked with people in Scotland, for instance, about doing it uh, around the Glasgow conference this year. And there they would need other stories because the stories in Carbon Ruins, they're very local, they're very Swedish. And we think that hits a certain nerve uh, that makes you appreciate the story more. So the stories themselves shouldn't be translated, I believe, but the methods and maybe the kind of story arcs might be similar. Some of the characters might be similar, but I mean, it is also in the creation of the stories that you get this kind of magic, these realizations, these discussions. So we wouldn't want to just transfer them. That would take away like a, a big part of the project, I think. I think, I mean, the stories is one aspect, but the interaction with the audience is another. And I think that that's why this local context becomes so important. Um, why do you think stories are so important right now in discussing you know, more sustainable futures? Yeah, I mean, a, a bit provocative statement maybe is but that we, we know what we need to know in large part about the issues such as climate change. We know it works. We know kind of what we need to do. Not saying that we are irrelevant as a university, but I mean, the, the basic facts are there. And I think the problem has been communication. Uh, and I think these types of storytelling methods might provide a way in for certain people. It, they won't work for everyone. But I think they're good enough to kind of invest time and money in if we are to kind of solve these challenges. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's why we need as many storytellers out there that are trying to translate the knowledge that we have about climate change and sustainability issues and try to make meaningful change in their own contexts. And, and kind of in that vein, then what advice would you give our listeners that are interested in adopting these methods of storytelling in, in their own contexts? Like the number one would really be just, as you said, to dare to imagine a better future. Uh, there is something fundamentally hopeful about that activity. And whether you get called naive or that you're doing uh, things that are unnecessary, uh, I mean, I think that's really something we need, especially in following a dark year such as 2020. I mean, that's an activity that is fundamentally uh, productive, I believe. And I mean, it's only possible if we imagine it. If we never imagine these alternative societies, I mean, then they remain impossible. So it starts with the imagination and then you can kind of backtrack from that. I think that is a, a great recommendation for our listeners to close on. Uh, Ludwig, thanks again so much for joining us on the podcast. Really happy having you. All the best. Thanks. It was fun. just heard from Per Grandqvist and Ludwig Bengtsson Sonason. We're so grateful that they were able to join this month's podcast and share a little bit of their experience and insights about storytelling for sustainability. 
Now we're soon ending this month's episode, but before we sign off, we want to provide you with some specific suggestions to use storytelling in your own contexts. Now, no doubt there are loads of tips and tricks from expert storytellers or things you have learned along the way from your own experiences. But here are some of the most important tips we found from literature and mentioned by our guests today. First, authentic stories resonate most with an audience. So seek to speak from your heart while using your brain for the facts and figures. I think empathy is also so important when telling a story. So try to put yourself in someone else's shoes, understand their experiences and the impact that your story may have on them. My favorite is to look for the story behind every story. So there is news and then there is a personal story to tell that can contextualize the news and provoke an emotional reaction with us. That personalization, context, characters, and plot help the stories to feel more real and be more persuasive. Something that we try to do here on the podcast is always to focus on the solutions, right? Stories present a conflict and resolution. And it is this resolution that inspires action in the real world. So consider, how do the characters of your story work together, overcome injustice, or reduce their own greenhouse gas emissions? And our final suggestion, and maybe the most important, is to be humble and to never use the story to shame, judge, or criticize others. Stories can be a powerful narrative device to inspire or persuade others, but an audience is unlikely to be receptive to any message if they feel personally attacked. Instead, consider how stories can share unseen or unheard perspectives that allow for the listener, in their own way, to critically explore the message in relation to their own worldview. Yeah, that last point really resonates with me. You know, looking at the world today, when we're recording this episode, it is actually January 20th, the day that uh, Joe Biden is inaugurated as the next president of the United States. And whether you are in the U.S. or elsewhere, we see so much hatred and vitriol shared on social media, directed at often at people we've never met. Certainly, criticisms are necessary, and feedback is essential for progress, but it, I try to at least acknowledge the limitations of my own knowledge and understand how others arrived at where they're at. At least for me, I think that this understanding helps me better tell stories which have the potential to engage and inspire. That's something that I'll take away from today's episode. I wonder, Catherine, what is something that you'll take away? I think for me, what I took away is that stories aren't just for writers. We can all engage in storytelling in any medium that feels the most comfortable to us. And secondly, that stories are an impactful tool to drive change, just as we saw from our two speakers today, who are using creative storytelling to help envision a more sustainable future. Yeah, Catherine, and I just want to take a moment to celebrate uh, one way that we on the podcast have tried to inspire impactful change. Uh, just last month, the podcast celebrated 20,000 downloads. We're super appreciative to all of our listeners and all of our guests, both at the Institute and beyond, who've joined the podcast over the last two years. We certainly see the podcast as one form of storytelling in which we try to bring sustainability research to life for you, our listeners. If you want to learn more about today's podcast episode and receive extra materials about the topic, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter. You can sign up on our website, www.iiee.lu.se slash podcast. Congratulations, Stevens, to you and the entire podcast team. That's such great news. 20,000 listeners. Wow, what a milestone. Once again, we want to thank Pierre Granfist and Ludwig Benston-Sonson for joining us on today's podcast. Also, a special thanks to our production assistant, Franz Libertson. And of course, thank you for joining us in another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions.
We have a new episode coming out in February where we'll discuss sustainable finance. Until next time, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.